What's going on, travelers? This is your main man, Just GQ, and we are back again, back at it again, with a new episode of The Travel Guides, the podcast dedicated to making travel easy for everyday people like you and me. Sometimes I really feel like I just need to slow that down a little bit so y'all can, like, really hear and remember what the purpose of the travel guides is but those of y'all who've been rocking with us for a while i feel confident i mean y'all listen to a lot of episodes so like y'all get it but for the new listeners and i want to pause and say what's up to the new listeners because i've been looking at the numbers and i know that you all are here so thank you all for joining uh and listening and tuning in if you have been listening and the Travel Guides has been a blessing to you, please consider stopping over and rating and reviewing us. Five stars, please. And this is not for ego purposes. This has a very practical purpose. So when you rate and review the Travel Guides podcast, it it helps our search rankings. So when people are looking for trips uh, or destinations or travel podcasts in general, we will rise to the top of the search results so that we can be found more easily and help more people. The goal of the travel guides overall is to cover is to have content for every destination in the world. So it's an ambitious, it's an ambitious goal. However, uh, that's, that's where we're headed. We want to be a resource for people to get out into the world. We want to knock down those barriers, you know, kick them out of the way so that people don't feel like there's anything that they can't do or anywhere that they can't go because of lack of information. So I'm going to get off my soapbox, but please stop by rate and review us. And also follow us on Instagram. It's a great follow at the travel guides at GQ five zero at Y-E-S-S-U-R-0-7. Yes, sir. And yeah, so happy to be friends with you. Great to know you. Thanks for joining. For today's episode, this will be part two of the Thanksgiving Adventure in Review. And this episode takes place on beachfront in Tel Aviv at a restaurant that I will say in the first 30 seconds of the episode and we get into some real great things you know we're talking about Palestine and Israel and Greece and you know the crew is is all in there so what we're gonna do you know this is part two in the three-part series we may or may not have a little some extra for you cooking up so just stay tuned appreciate all the feedback Thank you all for listening. You all are awesome. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of The Travel Guides. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for jumping on. Appreciate it. It's been a it's been a good trip. Glad that uh, everybody was able. We're able to mix crews. Everybody had a great time. Cheers. Many more. All right, cool. So. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another episode of the Travel Guys, the podcast dedicated to making travel easy for everyday people like you and me. We are reporting from our uh, last night, our last night at Salvabita Restaurant uh, on the beachfront of Jerusalem, or of Tel Aviv, excuse me. Uh, we've been in Jerusalem all the live long day. How'd you guys, have you guys enjoyed this, uh, this leg of the, of the trip, the second half? And welcome to D. Brown. Glad you're back. Glad you're back. 
need my sleep. I think this leg has been amazing. Um, it may rival uh, for my top, my top really? leg of the leg. Why? What was that? What was the highlight? I think because for the highlights. Well, visiting the Holy Land. Um, Again, I'm still, since we just did that today, still processing everything we saw and need to look up and research the historical context and, and all that jazz. I think I was surprised by Tel Aviv. I didn't look up anything before we came, so it really is like a very modern, luxury city. Right. Um, I know we said it's reminiscent of Miami, and I would agree with that, so... Um, Strong Miami again, like best of both worlds. I think that's why I love Luxor because it's the luxury and then such a lot of the history. Right. So that's good. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed. And the food has been amazing. The food has been yeah. from wire to wire. Mm-hmm. I know we had there were feelings about the about the Egyptian food. <laughs> Would you like to share? A little bit. The take it or leave it uh, sentiment there. I did enjoy it. I know we didn't we didn't venture out as much as we have here, but. I think we've had a good representation in in Israel. You want to chat a little bit about the uh, yeah the, the variants? Yeah, so for for those who are listening, uh, all that laughter came from after we talked about the food in uh, in Egypt. I made kind of a sour face, but uh, I had some uh, some some digestion issues <laughs> <laughs> during, during, our, during our Egypt trip. Uh, no, but I will agree. The second half is definitely better than the first half. I think it's just more. We hit more more spots, saw more things, more things that were uh, relevant for us. What were some of the highlights for you? Um, I mean, I think just like just going out. So like, obviously in Egypt, like you can go out to restaurants, but like you're not drinking alcohol as much. You're not partying as much. Right. Um, whereas here, you know, it's heavy Miami kind of scene. We were out drinking, partying, having a good time. Good vibes all around. Um, Was that due say, to like? Not being able to, or not. I know there. I think there was like some mixed feelings there, because like I, in my mind, we were just doing so much yeah. from like the the pyramids uh, at Giza, going to Luxor. Like we were just on the move a lot, like very heavy. Yeah. So we ended up like defaulting to kicking it in the in the hotel a lot with like, yeah. and we had our our group of of ten. Thing though about Egypt is different than Tel Aviv, or I guess than Israel in general, is that especially in Cairo, the main going out scene was in the hotels, in the in the more westernized hotels, just in general. Like I mean, we I think someone asked, maybe it was you, yeah. what people do when they're out partying or out celebrating a birthday, and the answer from most of the locals was, oh, we go to the Ritz Carlton's bar, or we go to I don't even know the Hilton's bar. So I think that was probably a part of part of it too. We didn't necessarily feel the Pull that's to fair. go to to another hotel when we had a hotel in ours. That's fair. That's fair. And I think that's a lot of the dynamics just from the way the country's set up. So it's like, given that I think it's like eighty percent of the um, population is Muslim, right? Where Muslims don't technically drink a lot, so um, a lot of those establishments that are going to be serving alcohol, such as nightclubs and bars and right. restaurants, are going to be tied to hotels where there's a lot of tourist activity. Yeah. So. I do remember when I looked at, I watched an Anthony Bourdain. Um, at one of his shows, and they mentioned that that there was there were a lot of like tea and hookah bars, but there wasn't like yeah. necessarily there were there were no ragers right. So maybe I had pre- pre- uh, prepared myself a little bit just to not kick it as much. But Tel Aviv acting totally different, <laughs> totally different. I know we had uh, we almost turned up. Well, we really turned up uh, two nights ago uh, before. Well, backing up. <laughs> 
because we had we had full plans on seeing the uh, visiting the Holy Land, but also going to the Dead Sea, and we had booked nothing the night before we were supposed to start doing all that. So we had kind of a collective like some anxiety, and we were able to like channel that, get together a quick plan, um, find a quick tour, work with the hotel, uh, and I would say both worked out pretty well. Overall, I don't know if you all would agree. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, Jules, um, stepped up and got us a, a tour for the, the tour that we took today uh, go on Viator. Uh, uh, yeah, through Viator. Through Viator. Yep. What was the, and it, it ran us about, I think we were able to do both tours for under 250 which and that includes like round trip. Uh, food was included or semi-included. Uh, we had to pay for lunch today, but it was it was pretty good. And then, and these tours are lasting from like, Seven in the seven eight in the morning until we're getting back at like six. So and you're getting you got a dedicated tour guide and you're able to see uh, all the things. I personally didn't think we needed the Dead Sea tour guide, but we were able to work through the hotel just to make sure that it was more so a means of transportation. Yeah, I don't know. What were your all's uh, thoughts on the Dead Sea and whatnot? Oh yeah, I thought, <coughs> I thought the Dead Sea was an incredible experience. I think it would have been doable by itself without the tour guide. The only thing is he kind of plussed it up by adding Masada in there, which um, is about an hour south of the Dead Sea location where we got in, and it basically was this beautiful, uh, or I guess beautiful and ancient um, fort and palace on top of a mountain, and you guys are going to have to help me out on this, because was it King Herod? Was that who it was? Yeah. Herod has been the key theme throughout all of Jerusalem. It was his fortress and the whole, the ruins were all kind of mapped out for us and almost rebuilt in some cases and I think navigating through that would have been a little bit more challenging I guess we wouldn't really have known because like you don't know what you don't know so that was nice that he was able to do that but as far as our time at the Dead Sea it was awesome exploring that by ourselves and just doing whatever we wanted to do and yeah. exfoliating our skin with the mud and I mean, playing around the water cut up left and right <laughs> I mean yeah that too <laughs> Jules didn't. Jules escaped with a uh, with a with a scathed bun. Um, I got cut up on my leg. <laughs> you went down. I went down. I went down towards the end. Got all scraped up on my side. But you were living your best life, bro. You had the you had the full <laughs> recline and the. And the it was good. Seat. I was doing a little too much, and that's why I got hurt. So. <laughs> the thing with uh, with doing too much is that you always make sure you do enough. So that's that's, uh, that's one thing. I know that. So for those of you un- uh, not familiar, uh, the Dead Sea uh, is famous for uh, being having a, an extremely concentrated salt con- concentration where you are. Um, are able to float very, very easily. The lowest point on earth. Yeah, the lowest yeah. place on earth. Yep. So um, everything was the lowest bar, the lowest place to drink, the lowest <laughs> okay. restaurant, the lowest everything on earth because it is it is just that. But it is it's great. Um, it's famous for this mud that uh, I'm a, I'm a pretty dry guy. Like I don't I don't moisturize a lot. I'm, I'm trying to embrace. You know, become a modern man. Look, let me be ashy in peace. Um, but, you know, the mud is, what they say, five, put it on your face for five minutes, and it takes a year off your life. So there was a lot, yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of exfoliating in there as well. Where did that magazine come from? I don't oh, know. It was Japanese. We found it on the beach. You yeah. found it on the beach. Yeah, I was just leaning up against 
some like dark thing. I thought it'd be a great prop for. So I've seen actually, it yeah. on Instagram as one of the iconic photos to take as you're floating in the Dead Sea to pretend that as you're like you're reading the Daily News or uh, looking okay. at a magazine. It kind of emphasizes the fact that you're with, like floating. Um, so let's back up. So you, what did you Google to find that? Oh, I just looked at Dead Sea. Dead hashtag Sea. Dead, Dead Sea. Oh, Instagram. okay. Okay, solid, solid. And See, that was just, just something that you were saying. with photos. <laughs> That's definitely a valuable. And Ellie has been uh, our residential iPhone all-star here. She's been uh, capturing all the immediate content that, that you all have seen, if you all have been following the journey on IG. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> and as I'm thinking this, I'm realizing that Cyber Monday is almost over, and I have not bought anything. So that's a side, side uh, situation. Um, from a food situation, what's been your favorite meal here? Last, last night. night. Where we go last night? Manta Ray. Manta Ray. Manta So Manta Ray, pretty, pretty high-end seafood restaurant right on the beach. Really, really, really good food. Great wine. Uh, ambiance is really, really cool. Um, it wasn't too expensive from a U.S. standpoint. We had a feast. <laughs> yeah, we, it was like eighty bucks. Yeah, we had a we had a feast. We had two bottles of wine. We had uh, three to four appetizers. We all got entrees a piece and split them. Heavy. And, and with whole seat. Yeah, with with uh, with food, alcohol, and tip. I think we ended up paying like seventy five or eighty bucks a piece. So, yeah, it was really. Good. Uh, it wasn't too bad. Are there nuts in the pesto sauce? Hmm? Are there nuts and are there uh, um, cashews? Thank you. Uh, so as you all heard, we just are getting the the bread now. This is you know live content here. Um, I'm allergic to nuts, so we I wanted to avoid having a hitch situation. Uh, so I needed to make sure it's been a, a common a common theme. Um, the ladies on the trip have been much more concerned about my uh, <laughs> avoidance of this allergy than I have. But um, I feel hopeful about the meal tonight. To be honest, honest. I think some of the um, some of the comments that I've gotten. Okay, there is a, a cashew nuts. Inside. Okay, okay, thank you. So no go on the bread. Um, I've gotten some comments on IG and just people who have generally just been reaching out about food being a major driver of like traveling to places. Is yeah. that is that the case for y'all? Because it's so, not for me. Not so much me. Um, now you're asking like for drivers for me or drivers for like my friends who have been asking. Drivers, I mean both, because basically they're just saying like like for me it's more sights. Yeah. Sights. So for some people it's nightlife. Yeah. For other people it's food. You know. For me, yeah, I would say for me it's a combination between like nightlife and like things to do during the day, whether that's sights or day drinking on the beach or something. Yeah. Um, I think I think one thing that I've been getting a lot of questions about is. You know, like just questions overall on like how we're doing these trips. Right. Or how are we going to so many great places within ten days and paying the prices we're paying? Right. So um, I think that's one thing that I constantly hear over and over again. It's like, how are you hitting? You know, four to five places in ten days. Right. How are you only spending? You know, fifteen hundred dollars uh, on everything for flight. Right. Until, so you just got a deal hunt. You know, I mean, there there are some great sites out there like uh, Secret Flying and the Flight Deal. And you know, yeah, and, and, and Hopper, yeah. So like, I need Hopper to cut a check because we've uh, mentioned them a few times on this. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. And once you get over here, then it's easier to navigate. But it's really just starting off with that big first. Uh, 
expenditure. You have to be patient, too. Yeah. Be very patient, wait for the deals to come through, and just take your time. And also, be willing impulsive to switch too. up. Yeah, impulsive. yeah, fair, fair. And be, fair. Yeah, and be willing to switch up where you're going. So actually, yeah. interestingly enough, we did not, I don't know if we said this in the last. No, I don't think we yeah, did. We had not originally started with this loca- these two locations. Egypt was on in the running. Right. But it was Egypt and Morocco was one of the trip options. Right. And then Australia, New Zealand was another. And then it just kind of morphed based on preferences, deals, and right. talk. So, and then, of course, like Ali said, spontaneity is key, especially when you hear about something. You either have to book it or watch the pictures and wonder why you didn't. Jump on it. That's very true. 48 hours. That's very true. You definitely need people who brought that action. Um, but to, to Jules's point, yeah, we, was, we had a flexible group that where people were able to, um, you know, be open. And then to the to my earlier point, like once you get to a spot, it's like, okay, which countries appeal to you? Like when you when you get close, and then you can make. You really just want everybody to feel comfortable and excited about booking the trip and making sure that they're they're getting there. So to that same point, uh, we had our stopover in Greece, which it awakened a, a love of Greek food and of Greece that I I didn't know I had. I knew that I wanted to see Greece, but I didn't know how much. Like I have to go back. I'm I'm extremely excited to get go back. back. <laughs> why you Why do you have to go back now? Why the urgency? The food, bro. The food. It was just it was dumb. Fresh. And and it's just it's a super nice country, pretty walkable. Everyone's really friendly. We had some great accommodations at, uh, I forget the name of the restaurant, but it was right outside Stofi. of... Uh, the Acropolis. Stofi, is it, what is it? Stofi, I think. Stofi, yeah, yeah. S-T-O-F-I. That sounds right. I'll just follow up and have it in the uh, in the show notes. There's a rambunctious group that's following us. Yeah. Great news, the Acropolis. I mean, right outside of the window, you got Acropolis there. And we remember we were able to, like, kind of chill because Egypt was definitely go. This whole trip has been pretty go, go, go. But, like, the Egypt leg was very much, like, go, go, go. And we had a sleepless night there. Uh, we ended up having one here as well. But Greece was a nice time where we were able to just, like, kind of, like, chill for a hot second. Uh, ironically so on, like, a 10-hour stopover. But uh, And then even, um, I don't know if y'all want to talk about, somebody talk about the uh, how we pivoted at, at Acropolis, trying to go see the Parthenon. Mm. Well, we struggled. I'll, I'll take this one if you guys want to add in if I forget anything. Um, we did not realize that it it closed, like the entryway closed at 4.45 yeah. or 4.30 actually. 4.30, yeah. Because we heard, okay, it's open until 5, no big deal. And then we actually heard that like the outside area, well, so the, the museum's open until 5, but then the outside walkable area is open until 8. Turns out they don't kick you out but they don't let anybody else in. So the last groups can go in at 4.30. I I kid you not, we showed up, I think, at like 4.42. Strong. I had the strong puppy dog (laughs) eyes. The woman did not care about my life. I know you were working on on another guy. He did not care. No, not at all. But, But the one nice thing was... Yeah, when you beg a little bit and say, hey, we only have a couple of hours, and like we're really just trying to see some amazing from sights in Greece. Yeah. Right. The, this woman did say, oh, okay, you know what? Like, Actually, let me do your solid one. Go up, go down this route, road, like go up over here. There's a better view of the city and all this other stuff. So we kind of explored a little, found it, and we actually got some amazing views. Right. We're definitely able to make the... make lemonade out of the lemons that we were given and uh, and get some spectacular views on the on the area surrounding Acropolis. We're not able to see the Parthenon, but I mean this just awakens an appetite. We were able to visit the country and then it awakens an appetite uh, to visit the country another time and one of the things that we'll make sure that to, to check off the list next time. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, just the architecture. It was just, it was just crazy being in Greece. Like we was we ran into some Americans immediately um, off of the off of the the train. Uh, we did have a little bit of trouble navigating the train on the on the way back, um, just because there was a split line. So, but we allowed for we allotted enough time, luckily, and so we were able to get back in plenty of time to uh, to catch to catch our flight. So, what I want to do is pivot the conversation back to what we've done over the last two days. Because these are two of the most pivotal pieces, or I, I think the two of the, the things that are on the, the Israel bucket list, and that's the Dead Sea, and then uh, going to see Jerusalem uh, and Bethlehem. And this is agnostic, no pun intended, of your uh, faith or lack thereof, it, because one, is just it just speaks to how harmonized the uh, religions are and how hard man has tried to rip them apart. Um, Ellie, I know you and I spoke about this earlier today, um, just in terms of even with like the quarters that you have, so the, 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 the holy ground is shared by the Muslims, the Israelis, and the Christians as well, and they have basically like split days in a very like divorced child couple situation. Um, I don't know if you want to chat a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I think that's spot on. So the I forget what the quarters are called. You're gonna have to forgive Muslim me. Muslim quarter, Jewish quarter, Christian quarter, and Armenian quarter. Armenian quarter. Yeah. I always forget about the Armenian. So it's four yeah. quarters, um, and <laughs> it's just been interesting how all of the religions place so much of their the uh, beginning of their faith, foundation of their faith, on this holy ground, and everyone's kind of staking claim for their you know unique religious beliefs. But I think it all boils down to us all having the same origin and us all serving the same one sort, higher source and higher being. And as we've introduced these different religions, they've been very divisive. Um, so it's interesting to see something that is very divisive actually working in, in a unique harmony um, to, to coordinate when and how each of them can serve in their own way. Right. So. Not without conflict, though, because, I mean, there were several... One of the, the, the big themes today was war and reorganization, basically. So there was, like, there were, there would be uh, harmony and somebody would take the Holy Land and then it would be restructured and then somebody would come in and knock down all of the churches and temples and then rebuild and it would it would reshift everything and then it just rinse and repeated uh, for a long time throughout history and I we've, we're admittedly on our second bottle of wine right now and have just gotten some free shots so I'm not I don't necessarily have the uh, the exact dates and times but just know that's a, a current theme in uh, throughout throughout the history what are your what are your thoughts Jules yeah no same thing actually one of the points of today that, uh, from our tour guide, actually, um, as we're walking through Jerusalem and Bethlehem, um, that I was, this shocked me, and I, I guess I should have known, it just didn't occur to me until I heard him say it, or heard him go through the history, but just how many times different conquerors or crusaders or an invading culture had added to or changed or even destroyed things that 
are present today or were present in the past is, was remarkable. So you you have situations like, and I think I'm going to go with this because this is the most recent that I remember in Bethlehem, the Church of the Nativity. You have so many different influences in one structure, and I want to call it a church, but I don't even the whole thing's not even entirely a church. Right. Some of it is, some of it isn't. You have Greek Orthodox, you have Christianity. I think you had some Crusader influence, and I, I know I'm forgetting even more. Um, and to, to me, like how many? I, I think actually the best depiction of this was the entryway the yep. door yeah. it was changed three or four different times and you actually can see the difference and where the stones were laid into each other and where the old entryway was and I think that was what was remarkable oh, one of the many things that were remarkable to me and that's just I think one I think it's really cool that they were these cultures who actually conquered each other and in some cases killed or enslaved each other were adding to each other as opposed to just destroying because one of the things that often happened in the past was they would completely destroy the existing civilization and try to erase the history and not much would be there and there were a couple caveats that they had which like I think some of the art survived because um, there's the three wise men the art of the three wise men only survived because the invading culture believed that it was part of their heritage and that's fascinating you know and but still, you get to see so many different commingling yeah. religions and cultures and civilizations, and those are kind of interchangeable here. But uh, I think that was, and I, Bethlehem is not the only example. There was a lot of different ones in Jerusalem as well. But I think we're moving at a little faster pace there, so yeah. my specifics are a little fuzzy right now. I need to do what Ali's going to do and <laughs> go back and read. <laughs> yeah, the crucifixion um, scene is another one that yeah. was changed or trying to erase to erect a structure to kind of erase that portion of via via Dolorosa. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they, we went through. That was one of the dope things we did today. So one one point to Jules, like um, I was going to bring up the, the three wise men. So that was a good call out by her. Just as no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> just in terms of it being a, a bit of narcissism in the parts of history that we won't remember to, because everybody wants to be represented, not knowing that everybody already is represented because the histories are so intertwined. Um, going into the Church of the Nativity, which is where um, it's the birth, it's, it's, it's the Nativity scene, so, but they have built a church on top of it, and then um, St. Jerome, who I didn't even know existed until today, um, is famous for camping out in there and uh, translating the Old Testament. And the New Testament. And the, and the New Testament. I thought, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, and and the New Testament. And so, his tomb is there. Exactly. And his the classroom or the, his office where he where he was translating is now like they're holding classes and and worship. people worship there. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's a very interesting interesting scene there. And you can look through a couple of holes. You can't really see much, but they have the nativity scene, the actual nativity scene, um, kind of highlighted in there. Um, and when I say nativity scene, I just mean the ground, not necessarily. There's no mock Mary, uh, Joseph, and Jesus in there. Um, to star. Yeah, to star. But yeah, but there's a 16 point star? 14. 14 point star. The 14. Of, because he's the 14th generation. There we go. Yeah. Another thing we learned today. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very, very intertwined there. One other cool thing today while we were going to Bethlehem was that when we were traveling from um, Jerusalem to Bethlehem, we had to change cars. And, um, you know, while some people may see that as, a, as an inconvenience, this is it was extremely interesting because um, it was necessary because we were moving from Israel to Palestine. And so that is something that I know when I voiced uh, on social media that I was that we were coming here, 
I received a few messages from people that were saying there is no Israel, it's just Palestine, like all of them very strong. And I was like, I ain't in this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. It's like it's not. It's not my. Not my. Not my. Not my circus. I'm. I'm out. Um, but it was interesting to learn a little bit about the culture. To, but that was just super interesting to me. I don't know if you all had any other feelings on like what were y'all were y'all's thoughts as far as moving from Israel to Palestine today and how they handled it. I thought it was seamless. Did you? Yeah. I mean, it was. I was kind of weirded out at first because it wasn't under. I, I didn't quite understand why we were switching cars because specifically in the West Bank there is still presence of uh, Israel, right? right? So while the Gaza Strip is primarily controlled by Hamas and there's no Israel presence, uh, the West Bank is totally different where there's actually like Israel's settled in uh, the West Bank. So I didn't really understand why we were uh, switching over to another car, but um, it was interesting just to see the, the different perspective of like the Israel driver versus the Palestinian driver and then just the way he like talked about things. Um, I think you were asleep for half the time, so that was kind of funny. Knocked out. <laughs> but it's interesting. It's such like of the, a changing of the guard. Like we had to get a new tour guide. The cars had different license plates. It's very um, um, just explicit. Like this, you, this is a different territory. Right. It's totally so, different. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That that totally made. It, I don't know. It just it kind of freaked me out. Not not freaked me out, but it was interesting the dynamic that they had. Because I was even afraid. Uh, Derek mentioned that I was like I was knocked out, and that's because I'm just a sleepy ass dude in general. Uh, but also like I felt. I was sitting in, so the way it was, we were in a uh, nine-passenger van. So there were, like, three people in the back, three people in the middle. And then <laughs> I stuck the two biggest dudes in the front next to next to the Palestinian cat. And um, and it was a tour guide, myself, and, and a guy. And so as I'm, he, uh, the our tour guide is asking me questions, and I want to reciprocate. And Jules actually did. But I was like, I'm not about to ask you something that's going to piss him off. And then I'm literally in the middle right. of this whole situation because the questions I ask are not for this tour. So uh, it's something I want, like, an honest answer about to clarify the history. So it, it, that was the thing that kind of, like, but it was it was interesting how they worked together because that was very apparent that they did. And uh, our tour guide, uh, Uri, who was really good, um, and I was the, on the Viator tour, he made mention of, he called out asking if Maria was going to be our... Palestinian tour guide by name and that was something that like surprised me but also spoke to the frequency in which they are working together so I don't know it was it was just an interesting situation in general but um I don't know. All in all, it was a it was a good it was a it was a great situation. I think one thing that Derek made one thing that what you were saying um, that with West Bank that made me think about it was or the one realization I had today was that the Western Wall is not a Christian site. It's not like the meaning for that. Um, I had a similar situation when I was in India and we were approaching the Taj Mahal and I remember I looked back to some of my people behind me. I was like, Yo, why is this famous? Like, what does this even mean? And I think that's something that. Um, um, making sure that you have clarity prior to going to something is is pertinent. Um, and today we had like a little bit, we had some hypotheses, but nobody had like a full, clear understanding of what the Western Wall was. And Uri uh, shed light on that. The significance of it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to speak to that, bro? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously everyone knows like going to the Western Wall is a big thing when you go to Jerusalem. 
Um, and you write basically for these for those of you who don't know, um, it's a big religious site. Um, people come from all over the world to pray at it. Um, you basically you, t- you take a note. You write a prayer on the, on the piece of paper, um, and you physically insert it into the wall. And then um, I believe that they said twice a year or regularly, uh, someone collects those those notes and those prayers, um, and then they basically end up burying them um, somewhere on site. I forget where exactly it was. But yeah, I don't remember that either. Yeah, it was basically they end up burying those somewhere on site um, of where the church is. Um, it basically just signifies that um, you're releasing your prayers, you know, into the Holy Land, and that. Um, basically, you know, it's going to be looked 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 after over. Right. Um, but I think the one thing that a lot of people don't know is like, well, like what's like you said, like what's the significance of it? Like why right. people going there? Um, and actually, come to find out, it's because um, basically that wall was built to basically keep Jews from uh, going up to Mount was it Mount Zion? I believe so. It was the it was the Holy Land. It's the the Western Wall is the closest um, the closest point that the Jews could get to the Holy Land, and so they would go up there and pray previously, and then it became indoctrinated within the or intertwined within the within the culture. Um, but that was something we were thinking that it was a dividing wall during like like there was a result of a war, and it was just, we were just wrong. To be honest, mm-hmm. so, um, but it was it was that's why you get these tours so you can get clarification, you can get clarity on uh, the significance of these of these um, these places. Um, but it was it was definitely an interesting experience. I mean, it, even when the when we were at the um, at the Via Dolorosa, Rosa, which is more Christian focused, obviously because of Jesus, they had um, the tomb where Jesus was buried. They have they have a slab where when they took Jesus off the cross, they laid his body, and people are praying over it. Um, and then you have the because all of this happened here, like they the. The way that it was described is that when we approached the the church, um, Uri said he needed our imagination. So he asked everybody to imagine that there were three crosses erected to the right, and then to the left there were tombs. And this spoke to when the, the, how the Romans were handling um, basically uh, religious rebellion. Exactly. And so they were executing they're executing people uh, on the crucif on the crucifix on the crucifixes whatever uh, they were cru- the yeah on the cross. <laughs> Yeah, um, and so during those crucifixions, then they, after they would die, they would take them down and they would bury them in a tomb. It was just very rinse and repeat. Um, and so on, the, they built the church on where the crosses were erected, as well as where uh, Jesus was was laid. Um, and the tomb is actually encapsulated in glass um, with like a, a large crucifix over the top, and you can actually see the stone that is believed to have been rolled over when they uh, came to look for his body and he was not there. Uh, And so, I mean, just like wild... um, There's also a stone that apparently, supposedly, um, Mary, I think it's Mary Magdalene, washed Jesus' body on. They believe that's there. And that's uh, that was something that we all actually got to touch and say a prayer to and on. A lot of people touch it, kiss it, put rosaries on it, but it's supposed to believe give you good health and long life. Um, so be in King David's tomb. Correct. Yeah. The same if you touch them. King David's people praying there. I think one other thing that was fascinating to me as we're going through these sites is the how strong the historical and traditional values have stood the test of time. Yeah. So there were two points where the men and women had to split in order to experience these 
um, historical. It's a great point. Yeah. Josh missed that um, memo. <laughs> I, I did not <laughs> miss it. I just wanted to explore. D Brown, look, I, I heard it the first time. D Brown was like, don't go over. I was like, I just want to see. And like walked over there. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I, 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 I don't know. But yeah. But at each of these points, King David's tomb, the Western Wall, you see people with their um, traditional Hebrew Bibles, praying, worshiping, having their moment with God. It's very. I don't know, surreal and just, I don't know, overwhelming. And then another thing that um, I found unique that Jules and I got to share a moment together is once you leave your prayer at the wall, you walk backwards so you don't turn your turn your back towards God. Um, so you're supposed <laughs> to walk backwards from the wall. Like, and so, I definitely did not do that. <laughs> turn a full back. Right. <laughs> a back and a half, back to back. Where to drink. So, yeah, that was special. That's good. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, a couple things on that. I know that um, one thing that we were remiss in mentioning was uh, we actually walked to where they held the Last Supper. And so, when we walked in there, that was like, I think, when it hit me, and I will uh, speak to Derek, I feel like it hit him as well, That the, and probably you all as well, but yeah. that just that this was like a deeply religious and emotional experience. There were people crying and people like rejoicing, right sobbing. There were, they talked about how the, um, the the hall where the Last Supper took place has been uh, taken, it had to be taken out of the control of, of the religious groups because it has different religious uh, significance to, to, each, to each group. Um, and that there was no praying and whatnot. As soon as we walked in there, we heard praying, crying, and sobbing. And so it was just like, I think, Ali, you spoke to something about like, you you're not going to stop me from from praying. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's a guard seated outside of the of the Last Supper room, and I thought it was just someone like there to help answer questions or for information. But our tour guide was very explicit in saying that there's no praying allowed in this room. Um, but for me, whatever your beliefs are, it's an ongoing conversation. So I believe you want to have that dialogue. And you have your moment, but it was just interesting that they were attempting to stop that or control that at such an overwhelmingly spiritually emotional place. I'll be honest. Speaking as like a very Christian man, um, I'm very focused on relationship versus religion more so. And I think the, the my struggle with the religion is that how is the is man uh, interfering? Uh, and I think that was on display today. This was a lot less of an emotional experience than I was expecting. Like, I was expecting to be like truly, truly affected. I, I would say I was impacted, but I wouldn't say I was affected. Like I, yeah, it was very, it was very moving. It was, it was an educational experience, but yeah. But there was, it was less emotional than what I than I was thinking. I think too to build on that really quick. I have to leave it to you guys, but. Um, <laughs> I think going through it, it's so much of our rational brain. Religion is not that rational at all. It's really one rooted in belief and faith. And today we're using so much of our rational mind to keep up with the historical context and the timeline and who did what and where what took place and like taking so much in. I think if we go back without a guide and we're able to take our time and explore those pieces that are most significant to us individually, we kind of zone out of the crowd. It was so crowded. Um, So I think if you're able to just take that time and stroll at your own pace, reflect, I think the the emotional, you know, sense would be there. But I, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Allie, actually, because I think, and this is such an important, I feel like we, so we kind of just made it up as we went for Israel more so than we did for Egypt. Um, but I will say, while there was value to the tour, 
if we could, I think, and we talked about this a lot as a group, if we could do it again, what we would do is give ourselves the first day of the tour, but then also give ourselves a follow-up day where we just went. Yeah. And we just looked at what we wanted to look at and experience what we wanted to experience because tours are pretty fast-paced and there's just so much history. And not even just... So I don't, we hit most of the high points for Christianity. I don't. We didn't even explore the um, high points from um, Islam or for... Uh, Judaism or anything like that. And I mean, the Armenian quarter, like, I don't even really know how that fits in. So, uh, and there's also different points where you can climb up on the Western Wall. You can go up something called the Mountain of Olives and look over the entire set of cities, like, or sides of the cities. And we didn't even get to do that because I think we just, you didn't, you don't know enough. And so I would encourage people, if you're looking to come here, give yourself a day for a legitimate tour so that you can kind of get your feet on the ground and the lay of the land. And then give yourself a follow-up day to be like, okay, and now I'm going to do it and, like, go dig deeper into what I actually want to dig into. And what we also realized, too, is staying in Jerusalem for that night might actually be a really good idea just to experience the city. There's actually a whole new side of old Jerusalem that's, like, a very beautiful square. And it's got, well, it had some uh, live musicians and it had uh, restaurants around the sides of it. It was was just really, yeah, it was really relaxed and really easy. It was jamming. Easy, yeah. It was jamming. My man had James Brown going a little Bill Withers. (laughs) To to Joseph's point, speaking practically, the challenge that you all will face is likely um, transportation. So if you are able to like navigate the transport from a transportation standpoint, then it can work out. But like when we were looking for, we were here for not that long, um, and so booking a tour uh, was like the only way that we felt comfortable navigating the Palestine, the Palestine-Israel border. One, and then two, even though there are ways around it, uh, but if you're not familiar, then your comfort level would obviously like change a bit. Um, and and then aside from that, like when you have, you, you just got to be able to, to make sure that you feel comfortable in navigating, uh, getting down there. And then, but there are hotels to accommodate you, and there's plenty to do, as Jules mentioned too. Uh, it's a lot to take in. So, um, shifting gears a little bit to the. Um, to the Dead Sea because that's something that we talked about briefly but like didn't go super in depth on um, and I know that that was you, Brian, you had a story about the about your experience of the Dead Sea right? Did I? I believe so you said you had a story from today uh, yeah so obviously one of the cool things with the Dead Sea is they always discuss like their healing properties and like the anti-aging and all that stuff so uh, I'm going to notice a lot of people, uh, especially like on, on this trip with me, is uh, I was playing flag football a couple months ago, developed some turf toe. Uh, I was wearing some, some cleats that were a little bit too small for me, but, you know, we had a tournament going on, and I wanted new, those new uh, those new Vapor Maxes out there. So uh, ended up playing with them, ended up getting like a turf toe and like a black toenail, you know, developed a bunch of blood underneath it. Um, been waiting for it to kind of just like fall off and, you know, it's got real re- re- regrow, right? Uh, and then... Went into the Dead Sea, was in there for, we were there for, what, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, went to the showers, took a shower, came back to the hotel, uh, looked at my toe, and, like, all the, the dried-up blood was gone. Uh, nail looks kind of healthy, looks healthier than what it did. Um, so still wow. to be determined on if it's going to fall off or not, but I was just still we'll surprised. You know. I was still just surprised that just being in the Dead Sea for an hour in that mud basically was enough to break up all of that dead blood and all that bad stuff that was underneath that toenail bed uh, and flush it out. That's real. That's real. That was a, a great account. Very graphic. Uh, so appreciate that at the dinner table. Uh, <laughs> I had a thought. Oh, 
Hey, yeah, okay, so he was talking about an injury he previously had. Um, Josh briefly mentioned that I scrapped, scratched up my bum when I <laughs> took a tumble, literally after... I think it was the like, right, the right buttock? Oh, no, both of them. Oh, both of them. Oh, very uh, solidly both. both. A double bun. Yeah, a double bun. Um, and it was probably, like, six inches into the water. It's very, um... Elusive. The where the mud is is very elusive. You can't really figure it out. And I actually, I think I sunk. So I stepped a couple inches in, and then I sunk immediately, maybe like two feet, like probably all all the way up to. I was knee deep in mud. Yeah, before you're even six inches in the water, and you don't even know where it is. (laughs) Exactly, you don't know where it's coming. So it's fascinating, but it's also like a little scary. Um, So what ended up happening with that was after I pulled myself out of that, I was unstable on my legs and took a nice little tumble. And there's a lot of, obviously because of the high salinity in the water, you also get a lot of um, like crystallized salt. And so right. when you fall on Which that... Is what we think are the rocks. Yes. Yeah. Exactly when we say rocks, it's yeah. actually like salt crystals. And the, so it's not smooth in the way rocks are when water goes over them. It's quite sharp. Yeah. Yeah. And these aren't, these aren't small rocks either. These are like large yes. center block size yes. rocks. So... Oh, I was going to say a piece of advice. Um, when you guys come to visit Tel Aviv and the Dead Sea, yes. do the crab walk. Don't do try to walk with <laughs> your two feet. To and get don't in. think you've got better balance than anyone else. And get yeah, you some you water shoes. And make sure you wear water shoes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if you try to wear flip flops in there, you will lose them immediately because <laughs> you will. You will get. You will think it's quicksand. You will. And they're gone. Your foot will go down, and you will pull it out, and your flip flops will be gone. gone. The first time I reached down for some mud, I pulled it up with somebody's water shoes. <laughs> you did. You did. I was like, this is gross. But I'm gonna press on. I'm gonna press on. regarding. Water shoe man. But so to wrap up the side of my addition to Derek's story, um, even though I got some pretty aggressive scratches, but scrapes burn. on my butt hurts, um, and they were quite visible while we were out there. As of the next morning, like, uh-huh. pretty much gone. Yeah. You, I mean, I can see them a little bit, sort of, as I sit down, but, like, you cannot see them. There are no scabbing. It's completely great. I actually scratched up my thumb, and it was gushing blood. Look, it's, like, pretty much healed. Yeah. Not even 12 hours later. That's all, man. Salt works. So this, it's a miracle experience. Uh, all you salty people out there, y'all stay healed. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think was the most difficult, like, part of the Dead Sea, like, navigating like, outside of the as far as navigating, I, yeah. well, I got something in my eye. And so that was, yeah, that's that what was, I was going to ask. Cause like, that was strong. Wait, Josh, teach everybody how to force yourself to cry. If you're not thinking about uh, so, yeah, so, <laughs> I, this has been heralded, and this is advice that I like turn a blind eye to, to be honest. But they were saying, like, if you get salt in your eye, because the salt concentration, 30% is somewhat sticking out of my mind for some reason. I have no idea why. I think you're right. It might be. Oh, it's close to that. It tend to be. But it's, it's just more so, like, I think it's 30% salt. Where it's typically like three percent in regular water, and so like that's the that's the the super concentrated uh, the super concentration. Anyways, I was splashing, doing too much. I got some that landed squarely on my pupil and fire immediately. And so um, I'm in the I'm in the water with Penn and and Dee Brown, and they're like, "Don't rub your eye." And I was like, "Oh, I really can't rub my eye." is this going to burn for the rest of the time? So I immediately, like, closed both my eyes real hard and started, like, rolling my eyes and then trying to, like, create tears. And then after, like, five minutes or so, because it was, like, a good it was a good drop that went in there, it, like, dissipated some, and I was able to, like, keep going. But I can only imagine. I've heard people's times get ruined because they get something in their eyes, and then they, like, rub their eyes, and then they're blind. Yeah, I was not doing that. So <laughs> that, that same thing happened to me. I got, I was, I forget what I was doing, but I was trying to do a little too much, having fun, and, like, one drop 
droplet got in my eye, and I cannot tell you how much this burned. He's on it, fire! It literally, I got some on my, my mouth at the same time. My mouth, like, went numb. Like, <laughs> I, I literally, if you guys have seen the movie 28 Days Later, when the bird is pecking at, like, the corpse on top of the light pole, and the one drop of blood comes down and, like, falls in that guy's eyeball, that's exactly what happened to me. My reaction was the same, too. I'm, like, freaking out. I'm, like, shaking my head like a maniac. I can't rub my eyes because they're all just condensed or they're all uh, drowned in the salt water. So I'm pr pretty much just, like, standing there in the middle of the Dead Sea, just shaking my head furiously, trying to, like, get, get whatever salt is still left in my eyeball out. Uh, and then after about, like, two minutes, it finally dissipates. I'm good. Um, but then, like, my mouth is all numb and can't really talk, so my tongue is kind of tingling. <laughs> but, yeah, you just got to be careful. And, like, it's funny because, like, right before this happened, I was making fun of this, this family wearing uh, goggles. And, goggles there, and I was like, look at these turds wearing these goggles. <laughs> what do you know? They've probably been there, like, three or four times, learned their lesson after the first time, so... Moral of the story is just wait on it. The, the pain will dissipate. Don't rub your eyes and ruin the, the whole time. Um, let your friends make fun of you for a little bit, and then, you, and then you'll be good to go. Also, one other thing, actually, to be careful of it, Allie told me about, and I didn't really think about this. Um, if your hair gets in the water for too long and stays in there too much, it's actually not good for it. It dries it out, which sounds pretty obvious. But um, if you have longer hair like I do, especially if you're wearing a ponytail even, like it, it's going to get she in the water. She wants you know she's straight. She's draping out here. Fuck your <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Don't get away. It really does. And so, honestly, like, it took me about two or three different shampoo washes to actually get the crispness of the of the water out of my hair. So, it's not like, it won't destroy you. You're not going to go bald. You'll be fine. It's just, as a heads up, it's not super healthy for right. your hair. Soft doesn't work, it. though. As the skin, and my skin was soft as a baby's bottom uh, before. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely, it definitely, it definitely worked, though. But we're about to wrap up uh, our dinner here. Uh, and But we appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode of the Travel Guides. And remember, your next adventure is just a click away. Thanks for listening.